morning, ZPC. It is good to be here this morning. As Liz said in her prayer, it is so good to see the sunshine. Is it not? What a, uh, I know, it's a bit of a surprise. This has been a, a rough week in our family, as I think it has been in many people's families, just uh, with the sickness and colds and flus. So uh, hopefully I hear, I hear some coughing hither and thither, but uh, hopefully you all have been able to avoid some of that. And if not, hopefully it won't come to you before Christmas, because that just seems uh, kind of cruel. Um, I want to point out a couple quick things here. Um, uh, from time to time, we've had some of our own um, folks who have, uh, who have helped to kind of draw some of our pictures. And so uh, we have Eric Bedwell and Kelsey uh, Soderstrom who have done a couple of, of pictures for today. And so this is Eric's down here. You can certainly come later on today if you want to take a look at it. And this is Kelsey's depiction of our story uh, today um, uh, in Nehemiah. And so um, thank you to both of them for, uh, for their work on those things. And uh, Kelsey, I know, lives down in uh, Orlando, I think. So it was kind of a long distance. They're coming from far away to bring us pictures. So um, but today's story uh, is a bit of a, a strange story, perhaps, and uh, I'm going to read um, mostly just 12 verses from the book of Nehemiah, and I want to warn you um, that there's a lot of weird names uh, in this, So, uh, and I say this as someone who has named uh, his children some weird names, so don't take it personally if you happen to have the same name as one of these people, and I just said it was weird, but, um, but I just want to let you know that there will be a litany of names there, just as fair warning. But it does come to us, our scripture passage from Nehemiah, just the very end of the seventh chapter, and then into the first 12 verses of the eighth chapter. So I encourage you to listen to these words. When the seventh month came, the people of Israel being settled in their towns, all the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. And they told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. And accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. And this was on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And the scribe Ezra stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand. And Padeah, Mishael, Makijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshullam on his left hand. I told you, right? No, no that was... Uh, no. That wasn't for that, but I do, we do have some more names uh, in the hopper now for what we can name our child coming. So good. Let's continue. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground, also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hannah, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. 
And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let's pray. God, we give you praise on this morning, this the fourth Sunday of Advent, just four days away from the day when we remember with great joy how you came to be on this earth. And so we pray, God, that you would speak to us this morning. Speak to us through your word. Speak to us in ways, God, in which we may not have expected you to speak. Soften our hearts, open our ears, and allow your spirit to come upon us now. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So a few weeks ago, I mentioned uh, when we talked about Naaman that I thought that Naaman was probably going to be the story in the Jesus Storybook Bible, which we knew the least. And I have changed my mind. My guess is that perhaps this story is the least well-known. How many of you know this story? All right, good. All right. Four or five of you. Okay. Not a whole lot. It's a little bit of a, of a strange tale, quite frankly. And, and so let's figure out just briefly here what exactly is going on. The storybook Bible kind of mentions it, which is that the people, or at least some of them, who had been in exile in Babylon were finally able to come back to Jerusalem, to their hometown, to the, the place that they loved and that they lost long before. But when they returned to Jerusalem, it was in ruins. It had been destroyed, much of it, of course, through the Babylonians, but also just because of time and and no one having been there to upkeep it. And so the wall had been destroyed, their homes, the buildings. And so they came back, merely a remnant of those who had once lived there, to a place that had to be quite depressing. And they began to rebuild, bit by bit, building by building. And at this point, it seems that much of their homes, or many of their homes at least, had finally been rebuilt. The wall had been rebuilt, but they realized that they were suffering, not just physically, but also spiritually. Which is why they came for Ezra and said, please tell us, tell us the word, read to us, from the scripture, which meant probably Genesis up through about Deuteronomy. So that's exactly what they did. And they, they read, and then there were those, Ezra, Nehemiah, the Levites, some of those other names that I mentioned, who then helped the people to understand what it was that Ezra was reading. 
That probably means they interpreted it into their own language as well as simply helping them to understand what this meant in their everyday lives. And as that was happening, as we saw in the storybook Bible, and as you heard here, the people began to grieve. They began to weep. In fact, it says it not once, not twice, but three times. And, and then Ezra and, and the Levites and the other leaders kept trying to tell them, stop crying, stop crying, right? It's something that I seem to say to my children quite a bit, stop crying. In fact, they said, this is not a day to be sad or gloomy. This is a day for celebration, for joy. And finally, the people heard the words and they understood more of what it meant and the joy that should come. And so that's exactly what they did. They began to eat and drink and they began to give to those who were in need, who were in need of food and drink. And so a joyous celebration ensued. And that's what we see going on in Nehemiah. And the question, of course, is what in the world does that have to do with us today? Well, it's a good question. And there are many or several, as I was reading up on things this week, who uh, I think especially kind of pastors who who had some snarky comments, quite frankly, about what this could mean. Some of them were saying, well, wow, wouldn't it be great if all of our congregations were this excited about reading the Bible? They said, wow, you know, here in Ezra, right, they came and they were the ones who brought it, right? The pastor or the preacher wasn't having to beg people to come to worship or to come to Bible study. These people were ready and eager and they just wanted to come. And not only that, but they wanted to hear the preacher pontificate and interpret the scripture. In fact, we are told from morning to midday, at least six hours, they were sitting there listening to the words with attentive ears. In other words, none of them were tapping on their watches or, or slowly departing or, or, or scrolling through their cell phones. Uh, no, they were just there with rapt attention, wanting more. Can you imagine, as the story Bible said, staying there for six hours to listen to me? Well, Scott already said no. And who can blame them? I mean, the reality is, of course, is that this isn't easy. And as I, I thought about this fact and about how sometimes our congregations wrestle with interpreting Scripture and, and, or with just simply reading Scripture and loving Scripture and getting excited about the Bible, I was reminded, of course, that probably... Even though it is easy for us preachers to be snarky about it, the reality is it is probably the preacher's fault. I mentioned this probably my second or third sermon here about the fact that before I went to seminary, the Bible, by and large, had grown very old to me. It became very boring to me. It, it seemed almost dead, really. I, I, about how before I went to seminary, I had, I had kind of gone through the catalog to see how few classes on the Bible I could take and still graduate, you know? And so, uh, as I said back then, this is what you want from your preacher. And so, I, 
And, and the reason, by and large, is because I think the, the, the church in which I was raised, or at least my understanding of it, they loved talking about the Bible. To be sure, they held it up in high esteem. But, but oftentimes what you would do is you would just kind of get some nice little principles from the Bible and say, oh, well, here's something you can do with your life. And, and it was there kind of to help you mind your P's and Q's, to make you a good boy or, or a good girl. And, and they would just kind of extract some of those things from the Bible and, and then say, now, here's here's what you should do. And, and after a while of reading that and thinking about it like that, I thought, well, I kind of got this figured out and there just wasn't very much life in it at all. It just kind of got real boring, real fast, quite frankly. I mean, I can find tips on how to have a good life in thousands upon millions and millions of books. And if that's all the Bible is, if it is just there to give us good principles to live by, then quite frankly, we might as well just look it up on Amazon, find it in five minutes and be done with it. But then I got to seminary and I had a couple of professors who slowly began to open my eyes to the reality of what we have said mentioned before, which is that this, the Bible, is actually a big story, one big story of which, and this is significant, we are a part that the Bible is one big story that we are actually called to jump into and be a part of. And if the Bible, as Hebrews says, is a living thing, then that means that the way for the Bible to really begin making sense to us and exciting us for life and not being dead or boring is for us to see how we help come alongside or how we jump into the stories of the Bible in order to make it alive today. But far too many of us, I am afraid, simply sit there and say, okay, here's a story, let's apply it here and then move on. So what does that mean? What does it mean for us at GPC to make the Bible alive? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look back at some of the things that we've talked about. Do you remember what this story is? I know you can't see it over there. It's the story of Genesis. Do you remember when we talked about Genesis? This was the very first Sunday back in September when we kind of kicked this off. It was August, August 17th, I think now, as I think about it. And it was Genesis, and we talked about the reality. What's the importance of Genesis? The importance of Genesis is to know that each and every one of us have been created by God. Out of love of God, out of the love that God had for us. In other words, none of us are here by accident. Each of us have been created by God for a reason. And so we gave each of you a piece of clay. Very good, a piece of clay. And you were supposed to take the clay home with you or put it someplace where you would always see it. Put it someplace where you would know it and you would be reminded in those moments when you began to wonder, why am I here? Am I here for any particular reason? Does anyone care? You can look at the piece of clay and be reminded. And when you are reminded of that and that you are here for a reason, this story becomes alive in your life. Or what about the story of Babel over here? The story of Babel, the story, the reality, maybe you recall this, about the fact that here were a people who simply wanted to stay where they could be comfortable. Do you remember that? They didn't want to be scattered. In fact, they said, let's not be scattered. Let's stay close where things are safe and cozy. 
And how all of us, if we are honest with ourselves, have the tendency to want to simply stay near people with whom you are comfortable and not take risks. And so we talked about the fact that we go out to places like Romania or Kentucky or Egypt or Mexico as a way of making sure that we are going, as a way of making sure that we are not simply staying where things are safe or comfortable. And when we go to places like Mexico or Kentucky, Kentucky, we have jumped into this story of Babel and we have said we are not going to simply stay where we are cozy and comfortable. Or what about this story? This is the story of Abraham. Do you remember the story of Abraham? He's told to go. And when he's told to go, Abraham is excited, right? It seems he goes, he does what Abraham or what God had told him. And so he goes, but what happens? All of a sudden he runs into some trouble in Egypt And so he begins telling people that his wife is just his sister, right? Kind of weird, but that's the way things work. So that's what he did. And what did we talk about when it came to this? We talked about the fact that though many of us perhaps are excited with the notion of going, that oftentimes once we actually start doing it, we get fearful. And so we brought up on this particular Sunday the Jeremiah house. And the fact that we can sit there until the cows come home and talk about the fact that we are called to take risks and to be on mission with God. But that we, with the Jeremiah house, that there might be some of us who would be fearful of the risk of that. Something that is so close, just the house nearby. There. But when we are willing to jump into the story of Abraham, that story comes alive with us as we go out and are willing to take risks on things like the Jeremiah house. What about the story of Joseph? Remember that story of forgiveness? We talked about the fact that each time Joseph had an opportunity, he could either have forgiven or he could have said, forget it, I don't want to forgive. But each time he forgave, he was then able to move forward in the mission that God had given to him. And so we asked you all to sign little pieces of paper, to write down a place perhaps where you have struggled with forgiving somebody or something and to bring it forward and you put it in a, in a pail of water and you, you, you stir it around a little paintbrush and it dissolved as a sign of the fact that you said the story of Joseph is not dead that we are called to continue to forgive. Or the story of Moses. Do you remember the story of Moses? How quickly Moses went from saying, here I am, to who am I? Do you remember how afraid he was at first again? He was excited about this. Just like Abraham, this is a theme that you see. People who are excited, and then when things get difficult, begin to question themselves. And so this is a part of the reason why we are doing home groups. There are lots of reasons, but this is one of the major reasons. Because we know that if you are going to try to follow the mission of God, you cannot do it alone. I'm going to tell you that again. If you you really want to follow the mission of God, you cannot do it alone. And so we are developing groups that can go along, small groups in a journey to say we are going to go so that those moments when you say, who am I? I can't do this. You have people who say, yes, you can. Or what about this story up here, the Ten Commandments? You remember the story of the Ten Commandments? This is exactly what we're talking about today. 
This is the Ten Commandments. We oftentimes, remember this? We talked about this. We talk about people quickly just want to use these as ten principles. But we pointed out that how do the Ten Commandments begin? If you know nothing else from the fall, you should know this. How do they begin? I'm going to preach for six hours on this. All right. (laughs) I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The reason why God wants us to follow the Ten Commandments is not because they are magic in and of themselves. It is because of the fact that God loves us and does not want us to jump from one slavery to another. And so we talked about the fact of how important it is that we do certain things, like uh, that that we aren't just a a completely kid-centric world of which our society tells us we have to be a part, where we oftentimes are enslaved to trying to make sure that all of our lives are centered around children. Now, I know there are children here, so this may catch them as some surprise, but the world centers around God. And when you love God, first and foremost, parents, it frees you then to love your children as you should. Or what about the Sabbath? We talk about the fact that the reality is that we need a Sabbath because the Sabbath helps to remind us that our purpose in life or who we are is not defined by the job that we have, but by the children of God that we are. And when we break for Sabbath, we are reminded that we are not what we earn. We are who God tells us we are. Or the story of Jericho. Remember this kind of strange tale where all of a sudden they could have just gone into Jericho and then gone on into the promised land? But God says, no, before you do that, I want you to sit there and I want you to walk around the walls again and again and again. Why? It was an act of worship. Because if they had just gone into the walls or gone into the city, they would have believed that they had done it themselves. And so God is saying, no, first you have to worship. And we talked about the fact that we do this when we gather at worship and we do it as well when we say we are not what our talents are. In fact, our talents are a gift. And when we give them away, it is clear that our talents are not our own. And when we give our money away, it is clear that our money is not our own. And every time we give away of our time and our talent and our treasure, we are like the people who are walking around Jericho. And this story becomes our story and is alive in the world in which we are a part. It is not just a nice story from thousands of years ago, but is a story that should come alive today. Or what about David and Goliath? Remember that? That was our intergenerational service. And for David and Goliath, we talked about the fact that David had this ordinary stone. A stone that probably many others had seen and never thought that anything was special about it. And so what does David do? He picks that up because he believes that God can use even the most ordinary of things. And so we talked about the reality. In fact, we got a stone and you put in there, you wrote on there something ordinary about you that God might use, right? And we, we talked about the fact that our children cut out things and colored things that they then gave to our prison ministry. We, we talked about the fact that in that same prison ministry, people just baked cookies. How ordinary is it to bake cookies? But because they did that, people in prison were able to experience the love and grace of Jesus. Or even just yesterday, Yesterday, Anna, Anna and Elsa visited us in our home. Now, who knows who Anna and Elsa are, okay? 
Yeah, okay, if you got, have a little kid, there's no way you don't, okay? Because it's, it's, I don't know, there's something wrong with it. But it's, it's crazy. It's everywhere, right? Two princesses from Frozen, right? Well, they visited our house, which was great. But here's what's important. One of them was a high school student. One of them is our high school student, quite frankly. One of our covenant children. And before they came to visit us, which was very kind, but before that, they did something much more important, which is that they were going around and visiting children who have one disease or another in order to bring them some kind of hope, some kind of joy in this season. And as that, as that one high schooler said, maybe this is one of those ordinary things that God can use. And when they did that, do you know what they did? They placed themselves right here. And they said, God will use something ordinary to face off a Goliath like a disease in a young child. And they said, this isn't just a story from thousands of years ago. This is a story that is alive and at work today in our lives. Or the reality, of course, a couple of weeks ago of Jonah. We focused in on that fourth chapter where Jonah sat there at his dead plant and he grieved over it in his own little world while the city right down the street was the one that needed love and grace but he didn't care about the city nearly as much as he cared about his own world and we talked about the fact that we have to get outside of our bubbles and think about the city that is just down the street, which is why we work with groups like Shepherd Community Center. It's why it's important that we have those totes, that we do shoeboxes, that we adopt families, so that we will not be so caught up in our own little world and bubble. And when we do each of those things, we are hanging out with Jonah. And we are beginning to learn what it means for that story to be alive in our world. Each of these things, when we begin to see these stories as a part of our story, and when we begin to picture ourselves in the story, that is when the Bible becomes alive. Otherwise, it is nothing but pages in a book. But when we genuinely begin to believe that we are a part of this greater story of God, do you hear me? The greater story of God, then we will not be able to help but be moved emotionally and physically. Will there be times of grief like there were for the people of Nehemiah? Absolutely. Times when we feel like we didn't follow in the story as we should. But there will also, and I would suggest be even more times of joy. Joy as we are able to participate in these stories. Is the Bible boring? I appreciate your honesty. It is boring though, only if you think going to a place like Egypt and trying to spread the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in a place like that is boring. It is boring only if you think going into the hollows of Kentucky and being able to give physically, emotionally, and spiritually is boring. It is only boring if you think that if you would prefer not to actually forgive people and not move on to whatever it is that God has for you. It is only boring if you don't want to be in small group relationship with other people where you learn and are challenged and are supported. It is only boring if you'd prefer to just stay with your tight little group rather than going out and seeing who else or where else God is for you. It is only boring if you would prefer to cling on to everything that you have, all of your money, all of your talent, all of your treasure, rather than going out and giving it away. It is only boring when you do not allow it to work through you in remarkable ways. 
And this story is getting closer and closer to its climax. This story is coming to fruition. We'll see it in the next couple of weeks as Jesus is born and as we work towards his death and his resurrection. But that doesn't mean it's the end. The scripture continues to be alive and breathing as we see ourselves in its pages. Sisters and brothers in Christ, if we, as we look at these pictures, if we can place ourselves in them in one way or another, then we will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we are called to be a people of joy. That we are called to be a people who eat of the fat, who drink of the sweet wine, and who will give to others because we long for them to be a part of this greater story as well. May we be a people in this season of joy, a people not afraid to believe that the scripture is not dead, but is alive in us. May that be so. Amen.